Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. The French History Podcast is brought to you by Evergreen Podcasts. History, pop culture, news, whatever it is you're looking for, Evergreen has the best of it. Today's special episode is by Marie Matin. Marie is a third-year PhD student at the University of Oxford. Her research focuses on women writers from the end of the 19th century in France, Germany, and Norway. Her thesis looks at how those writers have responded to contemporary discourses around women's sexuality and mental health, notably in naturalist fiction. Before her PhD, she did her master's in German and comparative literature at the universities of Bonn and St. Andrews. She has a bachelor degree in Franco-German studies from the universities of La Sorbonne and of Bonn in Germany. Her talk is about Mathilde Marie Georgina Elisabeth de Perbrune, known by her pen name as Georges de Perbrune. While Perbrune's works are not as well known today, she was one of the most popular novelists of her age, who lived a remarkable life during the French Belle Epoque. In this episode, I will talk about the French writer Georges de Perbrune. But before I discuss her trajectory from an illegitimate child from the Périgord to a successful fantasiac writer in Paris, I would like to share an anecdote that perfectly illustrates her strong character. Imagine, it is the 4th of June, 1908. You're part of the numerous people attending the transfer of the ashes of Émile Zola to the Panthéon. This is a symbolic day, honoring the French author, not only for his literary career, but also for his political engagement. In the 1890s, Zola publicly defended Alfred Dreyfus, a Jewish captain, falsely accused by martial court of spying for the German Empire. You saw that Dreyfus is here, attending the ceremony for the man who defended him when French society was sharply divided, with one faction advocating for his innocence, while another was driven by the prevalent anti-Semitic sentiments of the time. Suddenly, you hear a gunshot. A man tried to kill Dreyfus, right here and there, on the steps leading to the Panthéon. But he missed. How is that possible? The attempted murder was stopped by a 67-year-old woman and her umbrella. That woman who hit him is Georges de Perbrune. Now you might ask yourself, how come have I never come across this anecdote in French history books before? A woman who stopped an eventual new ideological civil war only with an umbrella? That should be in somewhere. 
Let me correct this wrong of French history by telling you more about Georges de Perbrune, her life and her work. Georges de Perbrune was a bableu, a French woman writer at the end of the 19th century, a feminist and an activist whose literary work reflected her political ideas. Before giving you a short biography, I would like to say that this podcast is largely based on the fantastic biography written by Jean-Paul Socard and the collection of letters assembled and edited by Nelly Sanchez. Thanks to those two scholars, we are today able to know Père Brun's story and legacy. Georges de Père Brun was born Mathilde Marie Georgina Elisabeth de Père Brun Judicis on the 18th of April, 1841 in the Dordogne. Her father, whose identity remains uncertain, never recognized her. She marries at the age of 18, a man 10 years older than her, and their marriage is an unhappy one. She starts publishing in regional journals soon after, and she goes to Paris after the 1870 war at 30 years old. Despite her literary success, Georges de Perbrun will struggle all her life with money and will die in poverty in 1917. Being a woman and a writer in 19th century France is not easy. Writers like Georges Sand and Madame de Stal certainly paved the way for the next generation of women wanting to write. But men at the end of the 19th century still reproach women to be too fragile and sentimental and that writing is a distraction from women's one and only duty, motherhood. A decadent writer, Barbé d'Aurevilly, even claims that he can smell a woman writer from a book, because the feminine smell always betrays itself, even if the author used a male pseudonym. A very accurate science, to be sure. He uses the qualifier Bableu to negatively designate women with literary ambitions, a name derived directly from the English blue stockings. For him and numerous of his contemporaries, women are physically incapable of writing books comparable to those by men. Frenchmen worry about the increasing number of women writing. For them, this can only be a sign of decadence as women leave the private sphere that was assigned to them by gender norms. Georges de Perbrun is well aware of those discourses, but she proudly reappropriates the term Bableu to designate herself and her peers. She directly responds to those uh, male anxieties in her play Jupiter et les Bableux from 1894. In this comic play, she stages Émile Zola under the traits of Jupiter, posing as a judge, putting her contemporaries on trial. The women writers in the play respond to his critics. But the text ends with the judgment. Elles n'entreront jamais à l'académie. They will never get into the French Academy. This is unfortunately true because the French Academy will only admit women as their members in 1980, that is almost a century after the play was published. Ironically, Zola himself will never get admitted to this French Academy either. 
What is interesting about this text is that Georges de Perbrun smartly mocks the anxieties of men writers, fearing the competition from women. She debunks their pseudo-scientific arguments to justify women's exclusion from public life and shows that the women of her generation have proven their ability to write. What I find particularly touching about Georges de Perbrun's personality is her clear solidarity with other women writers and her wish to build a literary network made of women despite the obstacles. We unfortunately have few archives left from Georges de Perbrun, but some of the letters she received enable us to see how her contemporaries considered her a generous mentor figure. For instance, Julia Daudet, the wife of the writer Alphonse Daudet, asks Perbrun in a letter to support the publication of another woman writer. Daudet reflects in that same letter on the numerous opportunities given to men to get their works published and publicized compared to the few opportunities women get. Her letter shows her confidence in Perbrun's influence. Georges de Perbrun's correspondence shows her as ready to help young writers by sharing her contacts within the publishing world and by giving her advice. One could think that in a society so hostile to women's writing, the few who dared to publish would jealously protect their secrets. But Georges de Perbrun was clearly women who valued other talents and who strived to help other writers. This engagement led Georges de Perbrun to be part of the first jury of the Prize of la Vie Heureuse. In 1904, Several feminist and women intellectuals were tired to see that the prestigious Prix Goncourt was again given to a man, despite the talent of a potential female candidate that year, Miriam Hari, with her novel The Conquest of Jerusalem. They thus decided to build their own literary prize to finally recognize and reward women's talents, as well as encourage contacts among women writers. Among Georges de Perbrun, we find in the jury Anna de Noailles, Julia Daudet, Daniel Le Sueur, Marcel Tignard, Gabrielle Réval, Séverine, and Lucie de la Rue Maldru. All brilliant and influential writers of the time. The prize will become the Femina Prize in 1917 and is still awarded today. All the names I have just given you are forgotten today except for a few maybe, known by lovers of the French matrimoine, a neologism derived from patrimoine, designating women's heritage and legacy. But it is important to highlight that all of them were successful writers at the time. Georges de Perbrun herself was awarded the prize of the Académie Française twice in her life, once in 1896 for Vers l'amour, and another time in 1899 for Au Pied du Main. This institutional recognition shows that she was read and appreciated by her contemporaries. The erasure of women's contribution to French cultural and intellectual life is a complex phenomenon that has nothing to do with the actual quality of the work they produced. In Georges de Perbrun's literary circles, 
we can also find the figure of Rachild, who made an appearance in the French History podcast with the episode with Rachel Mesh, entitled Before Trends, which I really recommend. Rachild is known for being the queen of decadence in fin de siècle France. She scandalized French audiences with her bold portraits of independent and sadistic heroines in her novels like Monsieur Venus and La Marquise de Sade. Interestingly, she claimed loud and clear that she was not a feminist. She even published a pamphlet on that matter in 1908. She often refused to be associated with other women writers, instead calling herself un homme de lettres, a man of letters. Today's episode is brought to you by Factor. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. With over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, there's always something new and delicious to enjoy. With over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, Factor is your go-to for all your dietary needs. Cheaper than takeout, healthy and easy to prepare, Factor provides all the restaurant-quality meals, snacks, smoothies, whatever you need, they've got it. And with food ready to heat and eat, you won't have to deal with the regular kitchen mess. Factor is giving out a special deal for our show's listeners. Head to factormeals.com slash frenchhistory50 and use the code frenchhistory50 to get 50% off. That again is frenchhistory50 at factormeals.com slash frenchhistory50. Sign up now. Your stomach will thank you later. Georges de Berbrune, on the contrary, revendicated to be a feminist, but her female characters can seem rather tame compared to the ones of Rachild. Rachild published several critics of Georges de Perbrun's novels in the Mercure de France and underlined her sometimes moralizing tone. In turn, Georges de Perbrun makes Rachild appear under fictional traits in the novel La Décadente, The Decadent Woman, in which she criticizes the morbid values of the decadence. A friendship between the two can thus seem quite surprising. However, their letters clearly show that despite different worldviews, both women admired and respected each other. Both actually come from the Périgord and tried their luck as writers in Paris. At first, in their letters, Georges de Perbrune appears as a mentor for the young Rachilde who tries to navigate the capital city and its literary circles. When she marries Alfred Vallette, the director of the influential journal Le Mercure de France, Rachel gains more influence. It is now Georges de Perbrun's turn to ask for Rachel's support through her literary critics that can publicize Perbrun's new publications. I think this is an interesting friendship to explore. Despite their radically different opinions and literary productions, Georges de Perbrun and Rachild are a great example of a true literary friendship. 
As I started with Georges de Perbrun's iconic gesture at Zola's funeral, I ought to say a few words on their relationship. While Zola was honored at his death, his literary career was marked by hurdles and rejections. After the publication of L'Assommoir in 1877, the naturalist writer is harshly criticized for his uncompromising representation of France's unromantic sides, with prostitution, alcoholism, violence. Critics considered Zola a mere pornographer who was only looking for the worst in humanity. Zola defended himself by arguing that his naturalist poetics were aimed to represent the truth, and only the truth. In 1879, in a regional journal, Per Brun writes articles to defend Zola. She is one of the first among his contemporaries to recognize the literary revolution that the naturalist school represents, and she claims that it should be a model for future literature. Her own literary works are inspired by naturalist topics and style, notably her novel Victoire la Rouge, uh, published in 1883, that tells the tragic story of a maid in a countryside. In Les Ensevelis, from 1887, bases her story on an accident that happened in a mine. Père Brune shares the same compassion for the most vulnerable members of society as Zola and uses his naturalist style to convey her indignation. All those elements, especially Père Brune's positioning in favor of Zola when most of French audience was rejecting his works, could lead us to think that Zola recognized in Père Brune an ally, maybe even an equal. The truth is a bit more disappointing and complicated, of course. Scholars have long thought that Zola never knew Père Brune, an hypothesis, in my opinion, which considerably underestimates Père Brune's literary successes and social influence, even if it was limited as a woman. The discovery of letters between the two authors demonstrates the opposite. Zola knew Père Brune. We don't have proof of Zola thanking her after her series of articles defending him, nor of him reviewing any of her books. However, we do know that in the letter from uh, 1881, Zola refuses to collaborate with the young author. His flair for new talents is contradicted by the success of her novel, Marco, published the same year. Much later, in 1893, Zola coldly answers a letter by Père Brune, asking for money from the Société des gens de lettres, of which Zola is president. One can only imagine the bitter humiliation it must have been for Père Brune, who struggled with money all her life, to be denied any help from a man she admired and defended when he was isolated. Those anecdotes are not aimed at giving a portrait of Zola as an evil man, but we saw that he had little consideration for one of his female contemporaries, who certainly had earned the right to call herself an equal. This lack of recognition from Zola did not stop Berbrun, 
We have seen her witty response to the master's indifference in her comic play, in which Zola appears as a blind Jupiter, unable to recognize the talents of his female counterparts. She also productively went against this lack of recognition by developing, as we've seen, feminist networks. I wanted to explore this relationship between those two authors because it shows the weight of gender dynamics in 19th century literary circles and how sexism could blind one of the best authors of this generation. One can only wonder how much this intentional citing of women writers when they were alive has impacted our own reception of their legacy. I want to finish this podcast by encouraging you to read Georges de Perbrun, to rediscover her rich literary world. What can you find in it? Why read Georges de Perbrun today? First and foremost, Georges de Perbrun is worth rediscovering for her feminist engagement. She was a generous figure who encouraged other women of her generation to write, and as we've seen, this was not a small feat in a society that denied women intelligence or creativity. Her feminist views, while maybe not entirely parallel to our own today, are expressed in a subtle but engaging way in her works. For instance, she extensively dealt with the topic of sexual violence. In a letter from June 1886, Addressed to Georges de Perbrun, Rachel mentions the way sexual harassment is quite banal for young female writers. All have to deal with unwanted sexual advances from publishers and journalists and sometimes have to compromise to get published. Georges de Perbrun deals with this issue in Le Roman d'Ambas Bleu, the novel of a blue stocking in which she tells the destiny of a young writer who falls into his despair as she refuses to compromise her self-worth for literary success. This novel poignantly reflects the debate started by the Me Too movement, which unveiled the harassment and abuse faced by women in every spheres of their life. Already in the 19th century, Georges de Perbrun denounced this harassment and how it kept women from accessing the public sphere as equals to men. Her message, I think, strongly resonates with contemporary debates. She was also sensitive to socialist ideas, as shown in her love novel Les Ensevelis, where she denounces the working conditions of minors. Her work is also admirable because it's using multiple genres and topics. Georges de Perbrun never confined herself to one style or one story. Her view on the world is truly worth rediscovering today. You can read her novel A Decadent Woman in translation, published by Snuggly Books, or if you can read French, I really recommend Victoire Larouche, which has been republished by Talon Haut in France. Exploring her writings will help you grasp the feminist ideas of the late 19th century and gain a deeper understanding of France's intellectual history. I hope this short introduction into the destiny of an exceptional figure has given you an idea of how women, despite obstacles, were able to shape their own success in Fondacique France. Most importantly, 
how women like Georges de Perbrune chose solidarity when facing rejection from their male counterparts and used literature to express their feminist and political views. Thank you for listening. As always, donations keep the podcast going, so if you would like to make a one-time donation or become a patron, please consider doing so. Thank you very much for your continued support. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.